0: I'm so glad that God does that for us, and the Bible actually tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means what Jesus did over 2,000 years ago, he is still doing today. He's still giving us hope in a world that seems hopeless. Now, we'll read in the paper or even watch on the news just horrible things happening, and one of the major things we see is that this thing called terrorism, that terrorism in the name of God, that's what they're saying, in the name of God, they are doing these terroristic acts. Jesus himself actually said, there's going to come a time that we see today. Uh, if you have your, your bulletin and there, there are some notes that you can take that out, and we're going to continue in our series that hope is alive, and we're going to be talking about this living hope. Now, when Jesus addresses the people back then, it's recorded in the book of John, John chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. Listen to how Jesus kind of sets the tone for what's going to happen in the future. And it almost seems like when Jesus is saying this, it's challenging for us even today. And the reason for that is because what Jesus was doing then, He's still doing today. So the challenge of faith back then that He was giving to the believers and even people who didn't believe, the challenge of putting their faith in Him is the same challenge he gives us today. So when we read this, there's a foundation of which Jesus wants us to understand, and the foundation is based on this living hope. It's not based on just predictable thinking or this is the way the world is going to be. It's, it's so much more than that. And when Jesus starts off, he says, I have told you these things, in John 16 verses 1 through 4, I've told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. And if you have a pencil or pen, just underline that. Or if you're taking some notes in your uh, electronical gadget, then throw that in. That so, you, so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues. And that's where they would read Scripture, kind of like what we're doing today. So he's saying you're going to be expelled from the synagogues. And the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God that's where we are in our day today this is because they have never known the father or me yes I'm telling you these things now and this is over 2000 years ago I'm telling you these things now so that when they happen you will remember my warning I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you For a while longer, so Jesus warns us ahead of time not to abandon our faith. He says this because he knows it may happen. He knows there there is the possibility for us to abandon our faith. In fact, when when he warns us, he is saying this because of the possibility. We do that with our children, don't we? We tell them, "Stop doing that, or you're going to get hurt. Get down from there, or you're going to fall." And we say it over and over, especially for the ones like myself, hardhead. We say it over and over. Same thing, especially if they're two years old, three years old. Stop it. Stop it. Don't do that. Stop jumping on the couch. Stop jumping on this. Get off of the stove. Get off of that. We we say this over and over. And when they don't listen and they fall and get hurt, what do we say? (laughs) Such great parenting. Good for you. Why do we say that? We say that because we warn them over and over. It's like we're frustrated. So my grandson, my oldest grandson, broke his arm last week. His right arm, two places right here on his wrist. Does this family give him sympathy? Well, let me just tell you what happened prior to that. His mother was saying, Jaden, stop playing on that. It was a railing, this, you know, the railing that you use when you're walking upstairs or things like that. This railing, he's playing on that. Jaden, stop doing that. Jaden, stop doing that. Jaden, stop doing that. Broke his arm. Hospital. Now he has a cast for six weeks. He shows it to Pop, and I said, "What happened? Mommy was telling me not to play on this thing. And what did you listen? No. Good for you. (laughs) See when you see when you play? What? Mom was telling you that because she knew there was the possibility. Now you may have done this over and over, and you were fine, but there is the possibility. Here's the good thing about God. He says these things and he warns us not to abandon your faith because when we do, he doesn't come back to us and say, good for you. When we abandon our faith, he says, I've warned you because when you see these things happening, you're going to know that this is me telling you this, not to abandon your faith. I'm saying these things because when these things happen, you're going to realize that, wait a minute, Jesus said this over 2,000 years ago and it's happening today so jesus is warning us so we don't abandon our faith so when we see these things happening and it seems like all is gone the world is going in chaos we won't look at it and say no sense live then i might as well just throw in the towel no no sense me try to be good everything is crashing no sense he's saying no no the reason why i warned you is so you don't abandon your faith He's pre-warning us because he knows it may happen. Now, there may be other times certain things happen and your faith is still strong. But he's saying there may be a possibility that when these things happen, you're going to abandon your faith. So don't abandon your faith when you see these things happen. He's saying this because he wants us to understand that hope is not in the world. Hope is in him. It's a living hope. It's not a hope built on circumstances, nor is it a hope built on when things are going well. It's a living hope, regardless of what the world looks like. In the book of Peter, First Peter, our second scripture, Peter records, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, uncorrupted, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being protected by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You rejoice in this, though now for a short time you have had to struggle in various trials so that the genuineness of your faith more valuable than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You love Him though you have not seen Him. And though not seen Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. See, he he kind of lets us know that this living hope is it's imperishable. It's not liable to corruption or decay. This living hope is uncorrupted, free from that which the nature of a thing is deformed and debased. It's free from that. It's unfading. It doesn't fade away. It's kept safe for you in heaven. People can only put their hope into what they know. And so if we know that this living hope is unfading, it's, it's, it doesn't go away, it doesn't decay, it's uncorruptible, if we can understand that, then we can put our hope into something that is greater than our hope in this world, that it's a living hope, because we can only put our hope into what we know. For instance, maybe we grew up in a family that was such a strong family, tight family, and that was our hope. Our hope was locked in to this family, that this structure of family. Family was everything. And so that was our hope. But then as we grew up and we got married and maybe we moved away, that that family, although still loved each other, were not in the same place where we could still support each other to that kind of degree. So it almost seems like, well, boy, it's like our family is falling apart. No, our family isn't falling apart. It's It's expanding. But my hope was in my family, so I have a hard time clinging to my, my spouse because I'm still attached to my family. You only put your hope into what you know. Or if your hope was in finances and you grew up that way, that's the only hope you know. So guess what's going to happen as you grow up? Money is going to be your hope. So when your checkbook and your bank account slowly increases, you feel good about yourself. And then when you start paying bills and then you start having children and then you start having a a mortgage and you see the finances being depleted, it feels like hope is gone. Why? Because you can only put your hope into what you know of. If your hope is in your job and that's all you knew while you grew up, your parents said, you better get a good job. It's all in the job. Job is everything. And that's what your hope was in then when you get your job, you're going to push hard so that you can excel. And when you do, you feel great. But then when the economy collapses and now there are layoffs and you no longer have that job, then you feel hopeless because you can only put your hope into what you know of. Maybe you grew up in a home that It wasn't necessarily like a relationship with God, but it was a religious thing that you did these things because it was the religious thing to do. So you went to church, you did the religious things, but it was never lived out in faith. It was just to do on Sunday morning. So you went to church and you checked in, checked out, but every day of the week, you didn't even think about God. And because of that, we did things that weren't pleasing to God. So we go back to church again and we say, okay, God, forgive me for the things I did. And then done, Monday through Saturday, do whatever I want. Oh, got to go back to church again. So we go through this routine of religion. So by the time we come to a setting like this and it's based on relationship with God... Now we have to shift our thinking into this living hope because we only can put our hope into what we know of. And if religion was where our hope was, and now we're hearing about this relationship with God, now we have to shift our thinking and and actually unlearn some things, at the same time learning some new things. And so this living hope that God gives to us is so that we have something to shoot for, that we have hope. Far greater than our circumstances or what we were brought up with, or a religion—it's a relationship with this living hope. That's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews thirteen eight. We have this scripture up here. In fact, this is our model scripture for our Foursquare denomination. Let's read this together. Ready? Go. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when you have hope in things, it'll eventually die and cause despair sometimes depression and hopelessness. But when you put your hope in a living hope, it never dies. And every person can have a living hope. Here's the first thing. If you want to write some things down, put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. It is that simple. Now, why, do I, why should I put my hope in Jesus? Because if I do, then I don't know what my life is going to look like. What if I put my hope in Jesus and he lets me down? What if I put my hope in Jesus and things fall apart? What if I put my hope into Jesus and then I'm not able to live up to that standard? Oh, I, I, I'm not, what if, how about this? What if I get good first? How about I get my life together first and then I give it to Jesus? That way it'll match. That way I'm not hypocritical. That way people will see, oh, he does go to church and he's good. That way it doesn't, it doesn't make me look bad. What if, I, what if I get my act together first? And then put my hope in Jesus. Here's the problem with that. At what point do we say, I got my act together? Who's going to tell us that? Our spouse is not. Heidi's not going to be my my evaluation. Heidi, am I good enough to go to church? She'll be like, no. But God is. God is good enough for me to go to church. Because church is not based on how good I am. That's why when you look around and you see those people that you think, they in church. What? I never knew they went to church. Yes, everyone can go to church because it's not based on our good behavior. Thank God it's not based on our good behavior. Coming to church or a setting like this is based on God's character of goodness, not our own. So we can come just as we are. That's what it means to come just as you are because it's not based on how good we are. So when we put our hope into Jesus Christ, we don't have to worry about how good I am. Because he already is good. And because of his goodness, we have a target now to be more like him. That's where we want to get better. It's not getting better first and then he'll accept me. It's he already accepts me. Therefore, I want to be more like him. I I want to do great things. I want to do good things. Why? Because he's good. Yeah, but what if Jesus lets me down? You know one thing that really spoke to me when I used to think like that? is Jesus dying on the cross. Because if there were ever a time that Jesus would have bailed out on us, it would have been at the cross. Because that involves pain and punishment for something he did not do. And so if if Jesus were to bail out on us or let us down, it would have been at the cross. But he died on the cross, was buried in the grave, and rose from the grave three days later to give us a living hope. Therefore, when I put my hope in him, it's a living hope. He's not going to let us down. He has never let us down. And when we put our hope in him, it's eternal. See, the only thing that can really destroy hope is death. Death of a dream. Death of a a hope in a a person. When, when, When there is death, hope dies with it unless our hope is in Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus died on the cross... It seemed like hope died too. But when he rose from the grave, hope is now alive. So he can no longer die. He put the death, of, the death of hope to death so that we could have a hope that is alive. Because the only thing that can destroy our hope is death. And so now when we put our hope into him, into Jesus, that is a living hope. In the book called The Billy Graham Story, author John Pollock he gives a story about, about Billy Graham in his younger years, in his evangelistic years, in meeting Sir Winston Churchill and, and them having it, this conversation. And he writes this in his book. Uh, the author writes this. One day after Wembley, Billy Graham went to Oxford University to address a packed congregation. On Monday lying in bed in his London hotel which he was to leave that night for a vacation in Scotland he was summoned at short notice to 10 Downing Street by Sir Winston Churchill Billy had been invited by the prime minister papers concerning Haringey were placed before Churchill and he consulted his party's chief whip before deciding not to attend one of his principal private secretaries, Sir John Colville, who had met Billy at luncheon, asked the Prime Minister if he would see him, but Churchill refused. However, the reports of Wembley so impressed him that Sir Winston agreed to give Billy five minutes, intending merely to be civil. As the hour approached, Sir Winston paced back and forth saying he was nervous about the encounter. He said, what do you talk to an American evangelist about? At the stroke of noon, Billy Graham was shown into the cabinet room and Sir Winston Churchill stood at the center of the long table, an unlighted cigar in his hand. Billy was surprised to see how short a man he was. Well, Sir Winston motioned Billy to be seated and he said he had been reading about him and it was most happy to have him come, claiming they needed this emphasis. Then he asked Billy Graham, do you have any hope? What hope do you have for the world? And Billy was naturally overwhelmed at meeting privately the greatest man of the age, but did not forget why he had been allowed the privilege. He took out his little New Testament Bible and answered, Mr. Prime Minister, I am filled with hope. Sir Winston pointed at the early editions of three London evening papers lying on the empty table and commented that they were filled with rapes, murders, and hate. When he was a boy, it was different. If there was a murder, it was talked about for 50 years. Everything was so changed now, so noisy and violent. And the communist menace grew all the time. I am an old man, Churchill would say. And he repeated this phrase at different points in the conversation about nine times. Several times he added, without hope for the world. Billy said again that he was filled with hope. He said, life is very exciting even if there's a war because I know what is going to happen in the future. Then he spoke about Jesus Christ. And he began right at the beginning, turning from the place in the New Testament and explaining about the death and resurrection and ascension and the meaning of Christ's birth and how a man is born again. He moved quickly, inwardly agitated, lest he should not put across the essentials in the short time granted him. Billy got the impression that Churchill was very receptive He made little comment, but listened closely, a different attitude from that which Churchill is reported to have shown to ecclesiastical dignitaries. He sat well forward in his chair, drinking in every single word. The five minutes that he had scheduled for Billy had become 40, and the clock showed 1230 when at last Sir Winston stood up and said, I do not see much hope for the future. Unless it is the hope you are talking about, young man. And if so, we must have a return to God. You know, I think about this young evangelist in Billy Graham coming to this prime minister and saying, I have hope. I'm filled with hope. You're looking for hope in in a political sense, but I have a hope that never dies. And I'm filled with it. In other words, what he's trying to say is, if you really want hope, you need to go to the source of all hope. And you will be filled with it. It's not going to come from a newspaper headline. It's not going to come from great works here on this earth. It's going to come from Jesus Christ. That hope is alive. Otherwise, if we don't put our hope into Jesus Christ, and now we get to say, I'll wait. I'll wait. When things get better, then I will. Let not your faith fail you. Or in other words, as Jesus said it, do not abandon your faith. No, I'm not abandoning, abandoning my faith. I'm just not putting it in Christ wholeheartedly right now. That's what Jesus is talking about. He says you're going to see these things. Don't abandon your faith. Because that's all you're going to have left in the world you're going to live in. You're only going to have your faith left. There's not going to be anything else that's going to give you a hope that you need that's required for sustainable living. You're going to need a living hope to be alive in the world you're going to live in because the way it's going to go into the future. So when we put our hope into Christ, it balances the playing field. That no matter what the world looks like, no matter what our world looks like, our life, our family, he says here's the living hope. It sustains you. The Bible tells us in Corinthians 1, 1.27 that God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's a glorious hope. It's not a wishful thinking. It's a glorious hope. The way back to God is through the hope of glory, Jesus Christ. Romans 5.2, verse Verses 2 through 5, it says, We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. Now this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we can only rejoice in affliction because affliction is going to lead us and produce endurance which will produce proven character and proven character produces hope. Why? Because it's our faith in the Lord. It's not built on us. This hope doesn't disappoint. Why? Because it's a living hope. There's something we can look at, something we can shoot for, something we can always put up kind of like as a target to say, that's, that's my hope. It's in the Lord. I remember putting my hope into money, that if I can get more money, I'd, I'd be more hopeful, I'd feel better. And I got, I got to admit, when you do have money, you feel better. You feel more secure in that kind of way that okay, I can pay the bills, we can buy food, we can provide for our family. So I understand that. But it became my hope. And I remember when I slowly started to see the checkbook and the bank account slowly diminish and being subtracted. It felt like, oh, there goes my hope. Because it was based on these finances. After a while, I thought, wait a minute. Even when I'm doing good financially, I always felt like there's never enough. It always felt like, but I can get more. If I can just put this as a savings and then this can be my foundation just in case anything happens, like there was, it was never ending. Now, I'm not saying having a, a savings is bad. I think it's wise stewardship. You want to take good care of your family, but that couldn't be my hope. That wasn't the source of my hope. That God had to be the source of my hope. See, whatever you put your hope into will either give you hope or take hope. Because whatever you choose that is going to be your hope must outlast you. It has, it has to be greater than you and I. It has to be greater than if we can earn a few bucks. If I can earn that, it's not greater than me. I'm greater than it. But God is greater. So when I put my hope in him, that outlasts me. My hope in him. He will far outlast me. And he gives me that hope. So I got to put my hope in Jesus. And here's the good news. This, this faith that we have in the Lord. He actually says there is a goal to your faith. In fact, you can write that in the second point. Learn the goal of my faith. That there is a goal here. Whenever you have a goal, it's, it motivates you, doesn't it? I mean, some of you put goals on your refrigerator. You want a house, you want a car, you want, you want to build your bank account, whatever it is, you put those goals up. If you're a sports athlete and your goal is winning the championship, then you put some goals together to get there. If, you're, if you want to exercise, and let's just say this year, you're saying, I am going to exercise I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get healthy. And so you put your goals up. You put all the push-ups, all the burpees, all the jumping jacks, all these uh, lifting of weights. And, and you, so you write these things down. And then when you begin, you're like, ah, oh, this is tiring. I did this thing called the wall sit. You just sit against the wall, and your legs just fall off. You just burn off. And you do that for a couple minutes, and you're dying. And you don't want to continue. But then when you look at your goals... You say, okay, I, gotta, I just got to finish this. Like you put your goals up so you have something to shoot for. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, here's the goal of your faith. It's like, put up your faith so you have something to shoot for because you will feel let down. You will go through a, a, a horrible season. But look up. You're, there's something you can become. I'm, I'm helping you become someone. Not just for me, but in this world. And so he says, let let the goal of your faith help you to get to this place. That's why the Bible says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. You fix your eyes on Jesus Christ. And when you fix your eyes on him, then no matter if we go up and down, whatever it looks like, we have a goal for our faith. 1 Timothy 1.5, it says, here's the goal of our instruction. It is to love God. From a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. This word sincere is actually a Latin word that means clean or pure, not falsified, unadulterated. That it's pure and clean. See, a faith that is clean and a faith that is pure is what God is after. It's not falsified. Because if it is falsified or adulterated, then you can't have a goal. And if your faith has no goal, then you're just going through the motions of religion and you actually don't have hope. You actually, you don't have a living hope. You actually have a dead hope. Because now we're focusing on other things. Have a good conscience, pure heart, sincere faith, a sincere Faith, a clean and pure faith. It's challenging. That's why 1 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last time, some will turn away from the truth, from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and Liars. And get this, their consciences are dead. You don't ever want to live with a dead conscience. See, once our conscience goes, then we could care less about people. We could care less about how people feel, what they go through. We become numb to society. We become numb to people's problems. Then we don't even want to hear it. We, don't, we can't love people. Why? Because we don't have a... A good conscience, a clear conscience, a sincere faith. We're just numb to everything and then we just throw everything out. And so when our, 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 our family members go through something or even our teenagers, if we don't have a clear conscience and our conscience is no good, we don't care. Even as a teenager, if you if your conscience, you just kind of throw out your conscience and you say, I can do whatever I want. You know, my friends are doing it. Everybody's doing it so I can do whatever I want. And you throw out your conscience, you will devalue life, including your very own. And we won't value people anymore. We'll just kind of toss people out. But when we have a good conscience, a sincere faith, and a love that is pure, now we can become more like Christ. We can actually keep that goal up ahead so that we can always head towards that, no matter what life looks like. And then when we get closer to that, we become more and more like the person Jesus made us to be. So, what's the goal of our faith? 1 Peter 1, 8 and 9 says it like this. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. And here it is. The salvation of your souls. See, God is not concerned about the exterior of our lives. He's concerned about our soul. That is eternal. Everything else is temporary. But our soul is eternal. So that's his major concern. He wants us to understand that this, the end result of our faith is salvation of our soul. Listen very carefully. You can mess up in life because we will. And we can ruin a lot of things. And we will. But the one area we don't want to ruin is our soul. Because everything will function out of our soul. It's who we are. It's who we really are. And so Jesus says, that's what I'm after. The salvation of your soul. And although challenging, and although it comes with some ups and downs, he says, don't abandon your faith because the end result is is salvation for your soul. So your greatest hope will be your greatest help. So whatever you choose, choose wisely. My encouragement to you is to put your hope in Jesus because he's doing something with your faith. You choose that route the question is, will it be salvation for your soul or just a religious act? Will I just go through the motions? Because hope determines attitude, doesn't it? Hope really determines attitude. Living A living hope equals an attitude that's alive. When you understand that there's a living hope, then your attitude changes. But if you if you put your hope into like a temporary hope, then your attitude is based on circumstances. That's why we don't want to be around people whose attitude is... It's up and down. We don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know if, if they're going to be good one day or, or bad the next day. And so it, it almost, you just don't know what you're going to get. So when you see them, it's like, hi, good morning. Hi, good morning. And inside you're thinking, oh, good. I'm glad they're in a good mood today. I'm so glad they're in a good mood today. Or they wake up in the morning, good morning. Yeah, It's like, oh, great. Like it just ruined your day. Because the hope, whatever hope we have determines our attitude so when you wake up in the morning, if you're already waking up moody, not waking up moody, you're waking up moody, with, like you already have an attitude, you already feel it. First thing in the morning, you wake up, you're like, oh, great, I'm late. So everybody has to pay the punishment for your attitude because you're late. But instead of thinking in that way, because now you're feeling hopeless, switch that thought and say, wait a minute, my hope is not in what I'm doing, where I am, what time it is, what my day is going to look like. My hope is in the Lord, the living hope. Therefore, my attitude changes. Try this one morning. Let's just say, I'm just, okay, this is just like theory. Just throwing out a scenario. Let's just say someone in your home wakes up every morning grouchy. They just wake up grouchy. Like they wake up and nitpicking at everything. That's just the way they wake up. They've been like that for 80 years and that's just the way they are. Let's just say that you're that person. Try waking up and changing, not your attitude, your hope. That when you wake up first thing in the morning, you pray to the Lord and you say, You're my living hope. You are my hope. Not in my day, not in how I feel, not what I'm going through, not this projected day, what it's going to look like, but you're my hope. And then when you see other people in the home, smile and say, good morning. It's the best morning ever. Best morning ever. Now try that. Now they'll be in shock. They'll be wondering, what do you want? what's, What's happening? If you're that type of person, but it's okay. And you do that every single day, every single day. You keep doing the same thing over and over. What you're not doing is trying to develop an outside exterior just to fake things. What you're actually doing is you're changing an inward hope that we forget about the moment we wake up. It'll set your day up for things that are completely different. It'll change your attitude, not because you're trying to change an attitude, but because your hope is different. And then the last thing, because this is where it's going to be difficult, you got to choose to live different. It's a choice that we make. See, this is what causes us to have hope. The fact that we can live different for the better. We, we have that hope to live different for the better. That's what it means to put your hope in Christ. It's a living hope. So we can change for the better. There's something we can shoot for. But we, gotta, we have to consciously choose to live different. That's why the Bible says you need a good conscience. Because you have to choose To live different. It's not going to automatically come up. We don't change because it automatically happens. No, we choose to live different under the power of God. Because we can't do it on our own. We've tried it before. But we choose to live different. When Heidi and I started coming to church, we have been together for seven years. We had a four-year-old son. Um, I was 15 and Heidi was 16 when we had our son. So by the time we came to church, everything was new. We didn't know about certain things. We didn't know it was pleasing to God. And then once we found out that just us loving him and him loving us was pleasing God already. It was a relationship. And because of that, then we decided to make some life-changing adjustments. We had planned to get married in December and we felt like the Lord saying, no, you need to get married now. You're living together. You have a four-year-old son. You know you're going to get married, so make things right right now and so when we did it 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 felt like literally felt like god's hand was now blessing our relationship god could bless my life he could bless heidi's life but because of what we were doing he couldn't bless our relationship and so he said you're gonna have to make some critical decisions you're going to have to either move out because you can't control yourself, Sheldon Loxena. And the other side is, or you can get married and make things right in my eyes. And so once we made that decision, boy, it, everything changed. Was it difficult to make life-changing decisions? Absolutely. Even the type of music I was listening to. I mean, I was all into this explicit lyrics and listening to this music as I was going to church. And, it's, and I, felt, I felt it. I started to feel the, I called it jabs. Every time there was a word that came up or a a certain uh, line that came up in a song that wasn't appropriate, oh, it just hit my heart. And instead of searing my conscience because God was trying to bring a pure conscience, a good conscience, I had to heed myself, my heart to his voice that God was saying, that's no longer for you. That's no longer for you. And then I tried to make the excuses, but Lord, I love the beat has such good beats. It sounds really, really good. And he says, okay, go get the instrumental. <laughs> well, you're super good, aren't you? But it was just, I, I didn't want to get rid of it because I had tons of music. And he says, you're going to have to make a choice to live differently. It's your choice. I'm going to still love you, but it's your choice. How do you want to live Do you want to abandon your faith or do you want to live for me? And I was like, oh, I don't want to be that guy that when I go out with my friends, like, oh, come you guys listening to this music? That's the devil's music. I don't want to be that guy. And he says, you don't have to be. You just change. You don't have to change your friends. And it was difficult because once I started to change the music and movies I was watching, then when I would be with my friends, I could feel it. But after a while... I don't know how this took place. It's like they started to respect the fact that they saw me changing in that kind of way. So whenever I was with them, say, "Hey, you guys, no play a swear music." Yeah, When past stay around. And was, no, make sure you guys watch your language. Yeah, and this guy, he go to church. And I was like, you don't have to announce it. He's like, no, 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 no. I got your back. I got your back. And I, I, I it almost felt like oh, I don't want to be, you know, that guy. And the Lord says, "Who else do you want to be?" You're giving them hope. You're not condemning them. They actually condemn themselves. Every time they saw me, was like... <laughs> <laughs> Pastor, how you doing? I said, good. Every, every time, even at parties, they would be drinking and I would show up. Oh, Drinking water. No, you're not. Just, whatever. But we feel like that because... There needs to be a conscious, life-changing decision. Like, we, we need to make that choice for ourselves. And when we do that, then God says, I'm going to shine through you because you're choosing to live different. You're making a decision. Second Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, it says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. See, choosing to live different will be the determining factor between having a hopeful life and a hopeless life. When there's a living hope, then there are possibilities that we would never have with just circumstantial hope. Now here's the difference between someone who has a living hope and someone who has a temporary circumstantial hope. When you have a living hope, you live differently and you can keep improving because it's living. It's alive. You can keep improving. But when you have a temporary circumstantial hope, you change for a while. But when the circumstances change, you go back to your old ways because you don't need to change anymore. The circumstances have changed. With a temporary circumstantial hope, your circumstances change you according to your circumstance. With a living hope, He changes us regardless of our circumstances, which changes everything. So I don't want a temporary circumstantial hope. I want a permanent living hope. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, it says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. The Bible is telling us that's not you anymore. You used to grieve with no hope but now you have this eternal hope, a living hope and now you can live life to its fullest to the way I designed you to live. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, and in the end, it is not the years in your life that count, it's the life in your years that count. Whatever years we have, That's not what's going to make life. It's going to be how we live in those years. But we got to choose to live differently. My prayer today for all of us is that we would make that conscious choice to live differently. In whatever way the Lord is speaking, that we would trust in him. And when we see him work those things out together for good, you're going to see your hope even more alive. And when you have that kind of hope, everything else changes. Attitude changes. Dreams change our outlook on life changes, even our very own family begin to, go, begin to go through changes. Why? Because now we have a living hope and that living hope never dies. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever because this living hope is found in Jesus Christ. Amen. You can put your Bibles away and your notes and I'm going to call Glenn to the piano. You know, today is a, a day that w- we learn about this living hope but more than that, it's a continuous one. Today at 1.30, we have what we call water baptism. And water baptism is actually a public confession of our belief in Jesus Christ. That when we said yes to Jesus, it was private. We said a prayer and we said yes to the Lord. But now we're going to let everyone know that I believe in Jesus Christ. But something happens when you're water baptized. Something that Nothing else would do unless you're water baptized. And I don't know what it would be. God knows. So I want to encourage you. If you've never, if you've never been water baptized, take that next step. We're going to be at Coconut Island at 1.30. You can actually register right after service at our information center. And it will just help the process before we get there in being water baptized. And if you've, if you've already gotten water baptized, then come down and, and cheer on those who are being baptized. So that together we will not abandon our faith. Some of you have already attended our Discover New Hope. And we actually have another class coming up, another session, April 7th. It's a Thursday night. And you might be wondering, well, why do I need to go through Discover New Hope? I, I, I'm at this church already. Well, what that will do is put all of us on the same page, heading in the same direction, And you get to hear more of the heart and vision behind our church as well as discover this new hope in Jesus Christ. And I would encourage all of us to attend. And the reason why we have it so often is so that we would have more opportunities because I know we're all busy. But just invest these two hours in in finding and discovering this new hope in the Lord. There's actually a, a, a typo that we gave earlier. It was March 10th, but we canceled that so that we could have it in April. So, we're not going to have the March 10th Discover New Hope. It's going to be April 7th. It's a Thursday night right here in our fellowship hall. Next week we're going to talk about church being the hope of the world. Not just gathering together in this way, but church as being that that one body of people that has stood the test of time. Church has not gone away. It'll never go away because it's something that Jesus is building that he himself said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we're going to talk about that next week as we continue with our series. But we're going to pray right now. Would you bow your heads with me as we conclude? Lord, we thank you for this morning, and we pray for your your wisdom and strength as we head on into this day. I pray for every family here today that each family represented will will not only put their hope in you, but will also remember that there is a goal to our faith, for our salvation that we would choose to live differently if you're here today and you're saying I would love to put my hope in Jesus Christ I've I've never said yes to him I've been checking things out I've been listening and, and trying to build my faith and boy I've been stirred this morning something in my heart is just it's different and I feel like like God is tugging at my heart and yes, I want to I I give my life to Christ today. And if that's you, I want to pray with you. Would you just lift a hand real, real briefly? And you're saying, I want to give my heart to Jesus this morning. I've never done that before, but I want to. Good. God sees your hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Yeah. God sees you. Right there. Back there. God sees you. You're saying, I want Jesus in my heart. Yeah. God sees you. Right here. Right here. Right here. God sees you. Right there. Yeah. God sees you. Back there. God sees you. Absolutely. Yeah. It's an eternal hope. God bless you. God sees your hands. God sees you. God bless you. God sees you. God bless you. Okay, you can put your hands down. Oh, God sees you. I think even as believers, it's such a good reminder that we have a living hope. So as we pray this prayer together, even if you've prayed this prayer a hundred times, Don't abandon your faith. For it is, the end result is salvation of our soul. For those who are praying this prayer for the very first time, mean it with all your heart. And although I'll be saying the words and you'll be repeating, it'll come from your heart. Let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising from the grave to give me eternal hope. Forgive me of my sins and wash me clean. Make me more like you. In Jesus' name I pray. And Lord, that's our prayer this morning. Thank you for the living hope that you give to us. It's all because of you that we have eternal life with you in heaven. And all of these, the The hopes that we have, the living hope that you give to us is incorruptible, doesn't decay, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven for us. And that's the joy we get to look forward to. So we thank you for being our God. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said amen. Let's congratulate those that said yes to Jesus this morning.